Well, it's good to be back. Uh, thanks for letting me leave. Uh, I hope none of you are too disappointed that I'm back. Uh, but uh, I didn't really know I needed that rest until I was a couple weeks into it. Uh, you, you know what that's like, right? It takes you a couple weeks because I'd wake up in the mornings and think, well, I wish I could go to the office. What am I supposed to do? But uh, we were able to uh, drive, make our slow drive up to the Seattle area for my nephew's high school graduation and see uh, some of my siblings. I have eight siblings and there were uh, four of us there for that occasion. And my mom lives up there. And then uh, we were able to visit uh, Lake Tahoe. We'd never been there before. I can't wait to go back. That was wonderful. And then... uh, We uh, got to see Olympic National Park while we were up in Washington. Uh, We saw some other national parks. Uh, We bought a national parks pass before we left and uh, actually saw a black bear eating some berries. That was exciting. Uh, Lisa wouldn't get out of the car and she kept yelling at me to get back in the car. But you got to get those photos, right? It's worth it uh, to risk your life. I was actually after the berries. I didn't care about the bear. And then we... um, Drove down the coast of Oregon. Of course, we had to stop at the Telemook Cheese Factory for samples and ice cream. Uh, that was good, too. And then uh, we made our way to the Redwood National Forest in the northwest corner of California. How many have ever been there before? Uh, Northern California is quite beautiful. And uh, we drove the entire Redwood National Highway uh, along the 101. So when we stopped, we walked through the Avenue of the Giants or whatever that's called. With the, those redwoods, that's really, you want to feel small and put yourself in perspective. Uh, take a walk through uh, one of those forests with those giant redwoods. So uh, Lisa's been in Indiana for three weeks visiting the kids, uh, and she'll be home Tuesday. Thank you, Lord. And... Uh, I've been living as a bachelor. I've been getting a lot of reading done, but you know what bachelor life is like, right? I've been using the same plate, fork, and cup. I just rinse it off for three weeks. So it's fine. I use hot water and soap, you know. Uh, and uh, you don't change the bed sheets. She can do that when she gets back. So, you know, you know, hey, and you eat out a lot, right? So uh, anyway, it's been refreshing. I've gotten a lot of reading done, uh, particularly a uh, couple, one thing, I focused a lot of time reading about my uh, spiritual hero, Jonathan Edwards, uh, just doing a lot of his, reading a lot of his writings, uh, another biography. I think I've read every biography ever written about Jonathan Edwards. Uh, he's my hero. The other thing that I spent a lot of time just praying and reading, studying about worship. What is worship? What does worship mean? How do we worship? Why is it important? Uh, and then the third thing was, Spent a lot of time reading and studying on this whole issue of gender identity uh, and transgenderism and gender dysphoria and all that. And I'm teaching a series on Wednesday nights uh, just to share my heart with you. I was a little surprised. We only didn't have very many people there Wednesday night. Uh, and I scratched my head and I thought, where is everybody? Uh, but this is such an important topic. I mean, are you equipped with the scriptures to be able to. Uh, help someone who's struggling with the gender identity issue? Uh, do you know how to counter the arguments of the world? Uh, there is a lot of gender confusion these days. Uh, and uh, something Christians more than anyone should be prepared to give an answer of hope and help. Uh, so we have three more weeks. Uh, 
You can join us on Wednesday nights. We're in the classroom behind the office over here uh, for the next three Wednesday nights uh, to join us. So it was beneficial. Thank you so much uh, for sending us away. And uh, uh, some of you gave us uh, some gift cards to different restaurants. Someone made the mistake of giving us several Starbucks cards. Those didn't last long. Uh, but it was a blessing for the three days they lasted. Uh, I'm just kidding. It was more than that. So, so we had a good time. Thank you so much. Uh, I really uh, needed that rest. And uh, thanks for the guys for filling in uh, in the pulpit. It's good for them to do that, and it's good for you to do that. The scriptures say that an elder must, first of all, be able to teach. Uh, and, of course, even all elders, including myself, uh, we're in a lifelong process of becoming even better teachers. Uh, even better studiers, as Paul told Timothy in the verse we read this morning, Second Timothy chapter two, verse 15, uh, that we have to work. We have to study to, to make sure that we're approved before God uh, as workmen who know how to accurately handle the word of truth. Uh, we're blessed here with men who know how to study and men who know how to teach. Uh, and uh, our prayer is that all of us as teachers uh, from Sunday school right on up through. Uh, will continue to hone that craft, uh, and it is a craft. It's a, a divine craft of studying and teaching the scriptures. Uh, the series that we were doing was called, or is called, Fundamentals of the Faith. Uh, I don't know if you knew it, but each of the messages you've heard, including today's, uh, was a chapter taken from uh, this workbook called Fundamentals of the Faith. Uh, so you got six of the lessons out of the 13. Uh, and so... Uh, if you enjoyed any of that or you wanted to check up on us to see if we know what in the world we're talking about, um, you can certainly order this online. Fundamentals of the Faith uh, by John MacArthur. It is a self-guided workbook on some of the basic teachings of Scripture. Uh, and today uh, we're going to look at uh, how do we know the Bible? How do we study the Bible on our own? Uh, and before we do that, of course, uh, let's stand up together. Let's have a word of prayer uh, Something we should always do before we open the scriptures uh, is pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we first of all confess that we do believe that it is your word. Uh, Though penned by the hands of men, uh, these men were supernaturally and in a certain sense mysteriously guided by the Holy Spirit uh, to record exactly what you wanted us to have. Uh, And you did that in a way that did not uh, hamper or hinder the writer's own personality and perspective. Uh, But, Father, we realize that the scriptures are under attack today. Uh, There are many, even inside the church, who are trying to tell us uh, that not every word is really the word of God, that we have to pick and choose. Uh, But, Father, your word, the Bible itself declares that this is your word. And so we need to approach it seriously. Uh, We need to approach it sacredly and somberly. We need to, as we're reading the word, as we're hearing the word, we need to tell ourselves, this is God speaking to me. Uh, So help us to understand what you're saying. Help us to understand what you expect from us. Uh, The change that you demand that we implement in our lives uh, as we go through your word. Thank you for leaving us a guide and a light for our path. Uh, not leaving us to wander in darkness, Father, but your word, the Bible, uh, is a tremendous, uh, the ultimate uh, source of authority and guidance uh, to help us in all the issues and areas of life. Uh, So open our hearts now, Father, as we just sang, uh, so that we may see Jesus. Open our hearts that we could see you 
uh, as you reveal yourself to us in the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how do we know the Bible? How do we know the Bible? Do this for me. In front of you, there should be a hymn book. I don't know if there's enough for everyone, but take just your thumb and your index finger and, and lift up the hymn book. Just hold it like this, just with your two fingers. Don't drop it on your foot. Our, we don't have the greatest liability insurance here. So, No, I'm just kidding. We do. That's a joke. Okay, we do. That's heavy, huh? Now hold it with all five digits. Which is easier? Five or two? I guess if you're a he-man, macho man, you're like, two, yeah, two. Uh, No, five. It's easier to hold it with five, right? Well, approaching the study of the Word of God is the same way. Uh, There are different ways to to approach the Bible, to study the Bible, to to see if we know the Bible. So we just want to look at briefly five ways uh, that we can study or approach the Bible uh, that helps us to know it even better and to know it even more deeply. And it's better to use all five steps as we approach Scripture. Uh, and this is for each of us individually, each and every day of our lives, in our homes or wherever we may be. Uh, this isn't just for a pastor or a teacher. Uh, these are five steps that we can take uh, when we open the Scriptures at any time. Uh, I'm going to assume... I'm going to assume that every person in this room reads their Bible every day. I'm just going to make that assumption, right? Okay, everyone, okay. we got one amen, so I'll go with that. Okay, I'm just going to assume that. And if you're not reading your Bible every day, shame on you. Okay, we already read that, especially teachers, the context of the second Timothy is Paul counseling Timothy. He's very young, and yet he's a pastor. He's being kind of harassed and resisted by older men in the congregation. And so Paul uh, was trying to encourage Timothy uh, to just keep at it. Be diligent. Uh, You know what? Because you're going to have to stand before God someday. So be diligent as you study the word or scriptures, as you're preparing scripture, as you're teaching scripture. Make sure that you're diligent to do it accurately because you're going to be accountable to your elder board. Is that what he told him? You're going to be accountable to your congregation. No, saying you're going to have to stand before God someday and give an account for how you handled his word. And by the way, that's not just something that a pastor needs to hear. That's something that every Christian needs to hear. Every Christian will stand before the Lord someday and be accountable for the way they received and handled and obeyed the word of God when they received it. Uh, I know that's a scary thought. Some of you are like, hmm, that's scary. It is scary. There are a lot of benefits for knowing the Bible, right? I mean, this is just this isn't even the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we gain God's approval. Uh, there's no way to grow in our salvation, it says in First Peter 2, unless we're knowing the Bible. Uh, Psalm 119 is probably the preeminent chapter in the entire Bible about the beauty and the majesty and the effectiveness of Scripture. But verse 11 there Uh, Thy word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against you, O Lord. Just being in Scripture helps to restrain sin in our lives. Elsewhere in Psalm 119, we're told what? Thy word is a light into my path and so on and so forth. A lot of us know that verse, right? A light into my path. Where am I forgetting the next word? Oh, a light into my feet and a... 
a lamp unto my path. That's oops. Yeah, I'm your pastor. Woo, have confidence in me. Okay. I couldn't remember the word lamp, a lamp and a light feet in a path. There we go. Woo. Okay. But guidance, we get guidance to get through life from Scripture. There are a lot of reasons that we should know Scripture. But what are five ways to make the Bible your own? Each time you open the Bible, each time you approach a verse or a passage, what are five ways that you can make that your own? Well, first of all, Scripture talks a lot about hearing the Word of God. Hearing the word of God. Paul says in Romans, perhaps the most theologically deep book in the entire Bible. He says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing comes by what? The word of Christ. Hearing comes by the word of Christ. Hearing, and he's, the context here is salvation. Coming unto God to receive eternal life. It doesn't happen by intuition. It doesn't happen by feelings. It doesn't happen by rationalizations or philosophizing or by therapy or by any of those things. The only way to have eternal life in heaven is by hearing the word of Christ. Now, our world today, they're already hissing. I hear them hissing out there already. Boo, boo. They, they don't like that, do they? The unbeliever, the world, as soon as we say that eternal life is exclusive, then people start to get very angry. There's only one way to paradise, and that is through hearing the word of Christ, the word of God, the gospel. There's no way around it. And it is interesting. We as human creatures, we're such expert rationalizers. We're such such skilled blame shifters. You know, they should add an Olympic event, Olympic blame shifting. You know, I'm going to go for the gold. I'm going to go for the gold. I mean, we tell ourselves all kinds of things to rationalize and minimize our sin and our need for a savior, our need for redemption, our need for forgiveness. We convince ourselves that we're good. Uh, and we do that by comparing ourselves with others that we know aren't so good. You know, and there's this whole list. I've talked about it before. You have the A-list sins and you have the B-list sins. And you say, I'm okay because I'm only on the B-list. Uh, I'm just a B-list sinner. Yeah, I've lied before and maybe I've gossiped and maybe I've been unkind. Those are just B-lists. I'm not on the A-list. I haven't been sexually immoral. I haven't murdered anyone. I've never stole or anything. So I'm okay. I'm good. We do that. But there's no way around it. Entrance into heaven comes only by hearing and receiving the word of Christ. The gospel. His death. His burial, his resurrection. It's simple, but it's not simple for the human heart who just resists it with every fiber of being. I know you guys are feeling so good. You're like, oh, we're glad you're back. You're making us feel so good. No, just stick with me here. Blessed are those who. What's it say? Hear the word of God and obey it. And what's the word blessed mean in our English language? It actually means happy. The Beatitudes, the happy-tudes. In other words, happy are those who hear the word of God and obey it. 
Now, I don't know about how many of you. Let's see a show of hands. How many of you do not want to be happy? Let's see a show of hands. Oh, I thought there would be some. So if I asked you to point out someone that doesn't want to be happy, I'm sure the fingers will be going like that. Who doesn't want to be happy? Isn't that the ultimate pursuit of every person in the world these days, right? Happiness. I just want him to be happy. I just want her to be happy. Just do whatever makes you happy. Well, especially for the believer, but also for the unbeliever, even though they don't realize it, happiness can only come in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Happiness in the sense of true Permanent, lasting, unshakable, immovable, anchored deep happiness. So, how many of you, and you may think this is a silly question, but I'm being serious. How many of you, when you read scripture, how many of you, when you're hearing scripture being taught, how many of you feel happy? I do. I do. Sometimes I'm just studying and I don't want to stop or I'm listening to a great message on the radio and it just makes your soul sing. And you're like, yeah, right, preach it. Yeah. You're driving people driving like that guy's having an epileptic fit. What's going on? It just makes me happy. It makes me content. It makes me peaceful. It makes me full of joy to hear the word of God. And so then application time. What should I do? If I'm feeling blue, if I'm feeling down, if I'm feeling discouraged, if I'm feeling afraid, if I'm feeling anxious, I go to the word of God. Oh, we could say this. I go to my happy place. Go to my happy place. We all have happy places, right? Hopefully you can you would be able to share in public where your happy place is. I've been to my happy place a lot since Lisa's gone, and I'm terrified of Tuesday when I have to turn in my receipts. But one of my happy places is Whole Foods. So I just text her. Uh, she'll text me and say, where are you? And I'll say, at my happy place. And she'll say, oh, okay, pick me up some soy milk or whatever, you know. I mean, she knows where I'm at. <laughs> she knows where I'm at. So, But happy are those who hear the word of God and do what? Obey it. What about the person who hears and hears and hears and hears and hears the word of God, hears it taught and taught and taught and taught, and yet their obedience level is almost nothing or it's very low? Are they going to have a sense of blessed happiness? No. They're going to be one of those most pitiful creatures of all, an unhappy Christian. There is such thing as an unhappy Christian. Someone who is truly born again, who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, and yet struggles to obey what Scripture says in any given situation. Therefore, they're very unhappy a lot of the times. Blessed are those. Read that with me out loud. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey. it. I know you guys are all It's like blessed. And then by the end, you're like, obey. Yeah. There is a path to happiness. It's obedience, which I'm sure Tim pointed out in his message. It's such a serious thing. What what should pastors and teachers do? Well, in Nehemiah 8, we read this. It says that not just Ezra, but he had a lot of elders with him. And it says that they read from the book of God's law. And then what did they do? Explaining it so that the people understood. 
God gave us his word so that it could be understood. I tell people this all the time when they want to wrangle and argue about deep theological things or people are twisting. uh, uh, Mary, did you see our good friend has released a new book? Uh, Our good friend Rob Bell uh, has released a a new book. I just uh, I'm not ashamed to say it. I almost wanted to cry when I was reading an interview that he did about this new book uh, questioning. The veracity of big chunks of scripture. Uh, this is a big thing now today, folks. If, if you see any book or teacher or hear a radio speaker or someone talk about finding the historical Jesus, turn your radar on. Finding the historical Jesus. What they're trying, what they're really saying is that the Gospels shouldn't really be taken historically. You know, the writers of the Gospels were men of their times and they were kind of embellishing it or, you know, uh, they were using hyperbole or they were exaggerating. And and you can't literally you can't take the Gospels literally, especially the miracles. And Rod Bell says this along with them, too. And especially you cannot always take the resurrection passages literally. Yeah, I'm so glad you moaned because I'm not by myself. Okay. So. But you don't have we read in Second Timothy, too, didn't we, about twisting the scriptures? God wouldn't give us his word and then say, "Okay, I'm going to make this really hard for them. I'm going to give them my word, but I'm going to make it so confusing and so hard to understand that it's going to have to take just a, a, a miraculous feat for anybody to understand anything. Let me ask you, parents, uh, when you talk to your children, do you talk in a secret code language and then they have to go figure out what you mean? Now, no comments from the kids because the kids are going to say, yes, that's exactly what they do. When I say. Boys, get your room cleaned up. We have to leave in 15 minutes. Do they then pull together? Jay and Nate, they pull together. Did he mean by that? We're going to leave. Clean up your room. What does that mean? Does that mean like clean up my soul? Clean up my heart? And we're going to leave in 15 minutes. How long is 15 minutes? What does he really mean by that? Does he, does he really mean 15 hours? Or, or, or what does he mean? Is that what happens when parents speak to children? We're usually pretty clear, right? And we usually have a higher volume uh, than that. Ooh, I heard a parent talking to a kid out here yesterday. I really mean it. Go clean up. We're leaving. And that little one didn't say, what do you mean? I don't understand. That's very confusing. That little one said, okay. When God has spoken to us, when God spoke He spoke in such a way as to be understood. Now, we do have to study a little bit more to go a little bit deeper. But first, John, chapter two tells us that every believer has the indwelling Holy Spirit. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives as followers of Christ is that he allows us to open our Bible and to read it and to get learning from it, even on our own, if I'm all by myself. And then as a bonus, Christ gave the church teachers and pastors to take us even deeper. But every believer is equipped by the Holy Spirit to gather learning from Scripture when we sit and read. Explaining it to be understood. Secondly, how can you make the Bible yours? Well, obviously you read it. You read it. And some of you may be thinking in your head, duh, yeah, we read it. 
Well, really? Do you read your Bible as much as you should? Do you spend enough time just alone? A lot of people love to read. I love to read. I'm a voracious reader. I read a lot of books. But I never read anything any day until I've read Scripture. A lot of people do a lot of reading, but they're not really reading their Bibles. They're not really reading Scripture. That's one of the reasons we've instituted our our Bible reading group, uh, which starts up again tomorrow. We'll be starting with Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So read a few verses, and I do a little devotional. I text it out. If you'd like to join that group, just let me know, and I'll add you. Uh, But we'll start with Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 tomorrow. I'm sending out a text later this afternoon, so you folks will get that. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words and heed the things which are written. So here we have reading, hearing, and obeying. And do you realize, never forget that in the early church, when scripture was first being written, uh, probably... Uh, don't quote me on this, but sometime, you know, uh, but after Christ's death up until the year 100, maybe. But not everybody had their own copy of Scripture. Well, where, where did they hear Scripture being read? At church, at church. The letters from the apostles would arrive at a church and those would be read aloud and then they would be sent on to another church and they would pass them around. So it was the public reading this. Take your Bible and hold it up. Or if you have a handheld, hold it up. This is a gift from God to our age. Right? Amen. Not every generation had the collection of scripture that they could hold in their hands. Only public. And do you realize that many of those early Christians, there's written documented proof that many of those early church Christians would memorize huge Massive chunks of scripture because they know they wouldn't have them in their own hands. So when the apostles would write these letters or they would take especially the gospels and memorize just massive chunks of scripture because they wanted it up here and in here because they knew they would never have it right here. They valued it. So we read it. Paul tells Timothy, give attention to the public reading of Scripture and to exhortation and to teaching. That's why part of the reason we have our Scripture reading as part of our order of worship. The public reading of Scripture is always a very good thing. There's also a different dynamic. You're reading Scripture alone. It's a different dynamic than when you're reading Scripture together in a small group uh, or in a much larger group. And they're all good dynamics. It's just a different experience. Thirdly, so we hear the word. How do you make the Bible your own? You hear the word. You read the word. Now we go even deeper and we study the word. Some, it's good to hear it. It's very good to read it and we can get a lot out of it. But if we want to go deeper, we do a little studying. This is why people go to seminary. This is why people become pastors. This is why we have teachers. Ephesians chapter 4 says the Lord gave to the church some to be teachers, pastor teachers. That we are allowed to set aside a lot of our time to study even deeper. The Bereans were told in Acts 17 they were more noble minded than the Thessalonians because the Bereans received the word of God with great what? 
eagerness, those are your two blanks on your outline, with eagerness, daily examining the scriptures. So what two traits do they exhibit as they receive the word of God? Eagerness and examination. I can't remember what I had next. There we go. Good. I had that. Does that describe your attitude when you approach Holy Scripture? Are you eager? Are you eager? I love, we, I love words. The, the English word alacrity. We, we don't, nobody uses that word anymore. But it's very apt. It's very precise. When it, when it says that they were eager, he's saying that they were cheerfully ready. That they were prompt in their response. It was an attitude that they had. They were cheerfully ready whenever the word of God was presented. Does that describe your heart attitude when you approach scripture? Whether you're alone on your own, whether you're in a church environment or a different setting. Are you cheerfully ready? Are you eager to receive the word? And this is what gets me. Uh, I, I always try to balance a fine line. I was bouncing this off of someone, one of the elders this morning, because I don't want to be negative. You don't motivate people by being negative, though my dad did a good job of that sometimes. Uh, I don't, don't, don't underestimate negative motivation. Uh, that's, uh, that works sometimes, especially with kids. Uh, fear, that's a good motivator. Don't ever think that fear is not a good motivator. <laughs> fear is a really good motivator. Anyway, rabbit trail. Uh, but it gets me sometimes I get discouraged as a Christian, not even as a pastor, but maybe more so as a pastor, but as a Christian with all of the things that we get so eager for. And we just set aside our spiritual eagerness as not important. I mean, I see people getting all pumped up about sports and, you know, about academics, you know, and, uh, you know, about houses and cars and, uh, you know, and accomplishments and, you know, and, all. and those things aren't bad in themselves. But, but then I look at the amount of time and the amount of energy and the amount of planning and the amount of money and the amount of sacrifice that people make. And I'll say me, include that we, I'm not going to say people, that we make to be eager about the things that we're cheerfully ready to receive. But not so much with spiritual things, not so much with the word of God. And I think it's a mark of our culture as well. We live in a very affluent, luxurious culture. We actually live, I believe, in the times of Laodicea, as described in Revelation chapter 3. Lukewarm. But, but think about that. What, what are you really pumped up about? What are you charged up about? How, how, ask yourself this. I'll just be blunt about it. How much of your spiritual life and training have you sacrificed to pursue those things that you're so eager about? And what did Jesus say? Store up for yourselves in heaven things that will last for eternity, where moth and rust cannot destroy. Don't store up for yourself the things on earth that are just going to fade away. I knew a family once, not here, not even in California. I knew a family once who uh, their son was really into tennis and he was good. Uh, and this is hard for me because I love tennis. I was up at 6 a.m. watching Roger Federer walk all over Myron Chilich in the Wimbledon final. I was disappointed yesterday with Venus Williams, but that's another sermon. Okay. So, uh, 
eager for spiritual things? What, what do we devote ourselves to at the sacrifice of spiritual things? And this young man, he was very into tennis. He was good. And his parents loved the Lord. Good family. Good family. But he, he loved tennis so much and they wanted to encourage him. So they sent him to these camps and they sent him to these trainings and uh, they sent him to Virginia. They sent him to Hawaii. Uh, and this young man, he uh, never attended Sunday school. He never attended youth group. Uh, they were there for the worship service. Uh, and they invested thousands of dollars uh, in him. Well, today he's in his mid-20s and he's married and I ran into him and he's not walking with the Lord. He could care less about spiritual things. And it's very disturbing and disappointing to his parents. I said, so how's it going? How's the tennis game? He goes, oh, I haven't picked up a racket in years. Moth and rust destroy all that time and energy and money thrown into the pursuit of tennis while neglecting his spiritual life. Now he's not with the Lord and he's not with the tennis either. So we need to be very careful about what we are eager for. If you seek wisdom like silver, like hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord, which is a good thing. Reverence is what he's talking about. And then you will discover the knowledge of God. Wisdom is the application of biblical knowledge to life. So if you seek after the things of God and treat the things of God like they were precious silver, like hidden treasure, it's then that you will begin to really reverence God. It's then that you will really begin to discover the knowledge of God. Treating the pursuit of spiritual things like treasure. Fourth of five things. Memorize scripture. You hear it. We read it. We study it. Memorize it. We already read. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. As I dug into this verse a little bit more, uh, and I love modern day software. I'm sure the early church teachers from the 100s and 200s are probably ticked off right now. They're in heaven and they're mad because I just go to the verse, click a button and all the Greek and Hebrew just comes up. I don't have to dig through all this stuff. It's awesome. I love it. I have hidden that word hidden actually carries a meaning that means to hoard. I have hoarded your word in my heart. Now, I don't want to embarrass anybody and don't raise your hands. Are there any hoarders here? I'm a chucker. We can do that. How many of you are chuckers? I'm a chucker. I'm in the garage. There's something. I Oh, that's in the way. I'm getting rid of that. And then I, I regret it a lot of times. I'll chuck something out and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have kept that. Mallory made that in first grade. I'm like, oh, it's junk. Throw it away. Uh, and it's like, oh. Or you chuck something and then your wife comes along. Hey, have you seen that such and such? Nathan made that and I really wanted that. Oh, uh, yeah, I think I did see that. Uh, uh, going down the street in the back of the garbage truck. Okay. <laughs> One thing I noticed in Cal now in the Midwest and in Indiana where I'm from, you don't use your garage to hoard things because December's coming, January's coming, February's coming, March is coming. You need that garage so that your lips don't crack and fall off when you walk outside to get in the car. But here when we move to California, I'm out exercising or walking or driving down the street and you see a garage door up and I'm like, Whoa, you couldn't fit a 
moped or a bicycle in there, let alone a car. Uh, people here use their garage as storage because you can park your car in the sunshine all year round. But that's the idea here with the word of God. Hoarding it. You want it. You don't want to get rid of any of it. You want it all. You just get it and keep it and keep it and keep it. That's how much you want the, the scriptures. You want the word of God. You want to hoard it in your heart. Because you know that it will help to keep you from sinning against God. I think that's marvelous. It's made hoarding look beautiful to me. So if you're a hoarder, you can hold your head up a little higher now. As long as you're hoarding the word of God along with all your other stuff. Now some of you are going to go home. You're going to see you're hoarding. You're going to, it's going to remind you of this verse. That's cool. That's really good. All right. Pastor said, I'm okay. Okay. Follow Jesus' example. When he was tempted in Matthew 4, how did he overcome his temptation? By quoting scripture that he had memorized. And don't say, oh no, Jesus knew he quoted from Deuteronomy three times, because of course he had the Old Testament scriptures. And don't you dare say, oh well, he was Jesus, he was God, he knew the whole Bible just like that, he could quote the whole Old Testament. Now, we're not going to go there, but don't forget Philippians chapter 2. Which tells us that when Jesus, the divine, eternal God, became man, he set aside the free use of all his supernatural powers. He did have those, but only at the discretion of his father while he was on earth. So that means Jesus had to memorize scripture just like you and I. And the scripture that he quoted to defend himself against temptation is scripture that he had memorized. Now, this blows my mind. Every good Jewish boy, which I'm sure Jesus was, had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. Can you imagine? What are those? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Wow. Let's get started today. Can you imagine memorizing those books? Wow. Let's start out with something easier. Jude. I could do that. That's one chapter. So. Wow, that's that tells me, though, that the human mind can do that if we really want to. David says this in Psalm 40. This is a messianic psalm because Jesus uses this psalm later in the New Testament. He said, I delight to do your will, O my God. And then what does it say? Your law is within my heart. The desire to do God's will happens only when his word is in our hearts. Interesting. We talk about, oh, I want to be a better follower of God. I want to be a better Christian. I want to be more spiritual. Well, that's in direct proportion to how much time I spend in the scripture. We cannot do or be in the will of God without saturating ourselves with his word. Fifthly, we meditate upon it. We hear it. We read it. We study it. We memorize it. And we meditate upon it. How blessed is the man, the psalmist says in chapter one. Does not follow the ways of the world, sit, stand or walk, sit, stand with unbelievers. But he meditates on God's law night and day. What is meditation? That's a word that's been it's misused today. It's not checking out mentally. It's not emptying. Now, here's interest. This is important to remember. Any form of meditation that calls you to empty your mind, run away from that. That is not meditation. Meditation is to fix one's mind on something, not to empty one's mind. It means meditation is to read with thoughtfulness. 
It means to linger over God's word, to prayerfully reflect on scripture with the goal of conforming my life to God's will. So I've heard some scripture or I've read some scripture. I've studied some scripture. Maybe I've memorized some scripture. And now throughout the day, I'm thinking about it. And in the Hebrew language, the word meditate actually is supposed to make us think of the cow who regurgitates what he has eaten and he's chewing on it. That's a pretty picture, isn't it? It's the picture of regurgitation. Uh, Cows love How many of you already knew this? If you've been around farms, if you've been around cows, cows will eat, then they regurgitate, and then they chew on that regurgitation and swallow it again. Who's ready for lunch? All right. But that's the picture. I've heard it. I've read it. I've studied it. I've memorized it. Now I'm going to mentally, spiritually regurgitate it. I'm going to linger on it throughout the day. I'm going to think about what I read. I'm going to think about what I studied, what I heard. I'm going to think about uh, what God expects me to do now. I'm going to pray to God using in my prayers the words of the passage that I was hearing or studying. And I'm going to give a lot of thought to what is God asking me to do here in this passage. Now let's fly. Let's put on our wings and go really fast. If I'm going to study the Bible more deeply... There's four things I want to do. First of all, I want to prepare. There's preparation. I want to make sure that I'm confessing my sin and praying before I approach Scripture. Then there's observation. I want to look at a verse or a passage of Scripture and observe what's happening in that passage. If you look at the back of your outlines at the top. I want to ask questions like who, what, where, when about this passage. I want to look for all the key words, action verbs, people, topics, commands. I want to look for warnings. I want to look for words or phrases that are repeated because that's like God is using a megaphone when he repeats words or phrases. I want to look at comparisons. I want to look if the text has any questions and then do they answer those questions? Is there anything unusual or unexpected? I want to take my time And I never want to give up. Those are just things that we can glean as we skim over a passage or verse that we're reading. That we can do on our own. Interpretation, we're going to go deeper. And we may have to pull out some other resources. Bible dictionaries or commentaries or things like that. Uh, You know, we may, we got to make sure it's reliable. But we may read a verse and we may want to get even more out of it. But here's the thing about interpreting scripture. I think Josie just spent a couple weeks, right, uh, in Winona Lake taking a seminar on how to interpret, study, and teach scripture. And I'm sure you heard this while you were there, that every passage of scripture only has one correct interpretation. Because God said it, and it was written down, so God has a specific meaning In what he is saying. So that's the goal of interpreting scripture. What is God saying to the original readers of this passage? Now, don't worry. There's something for us. That's interpretation. What is for us is application. We want to be careful with the interpretation because we don't want to give a passage or verse of scripture a meaning that God never intended it to have. I'll just give you an example. Help me finish this verse. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's the reference? Philippians. I asked you because I don't remember. 4.3? See, I was testing you. Very good. 4.13. I knew I had a three. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, Lord, I've got this big math final today, and I, I realized I was up till three playing Xbox, and I spilled chocolate milk on my notes, and I fell asleep in class. But, Lord, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Help me to do good on this test. I didn't mean to call you out there, Isaac. I'm just kidding. That's a silly example, but you know what I'm talking about, right? We don't want it to mean something. That's not what God intended that verse to mean. God did not intend for that verse to mean that I can do absolutely anything and everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I think that's a true statement. I think that statement is true, but I'm not going to use that verse to support that statement. Because when you study that verse and you look at the context, what's the context? Contentment. Contentment. Paul says right before that or after that around there, he says, I've learned to be content with a little and I've learned to be content with a lot. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He's talking about I can be content in any situation, whether I have a lot or a little, because it's Christ who will strengthen me to do that. You see, that's the meaning that God had for that verse. So we have to be careful, right? Interpretation. What's interesting, there's only one interpretation for each passage or particular verse, but there are many different applications. Because application is when I say to myself, what effect will this verse have on my life? What change is God asking me to make? What step of action is God asking me to take? Let's just take that Philippians verse. It's all kinds of application when you start looking at contentment. Well, we cannot afford a new car right now, so God is telling me to be content and thankful and joyful in this situation. Wow, I didn't realize I was getting such a huge tax return this year. Hardy har har. Uh, well, that's a lot of extra money. What am I going to do with that? I have to. The application would be, I need to be content with the situation and not go off and spend this money in a crazy way. Or. To get even more serious, use myself as an example. Okay, so my dad has abandoned our family. He's left us destitute. My mom has no job, no driver's license, no high school diploma. She's got six kids. I can do this. I can be content. Because Christ will give me strength. So while there's one interpretation, there could be many applications. Because what is the entire goal of Bible study? What is it? Obedience. I could hear it. I could read it. I could study it. I could memorize it. I could meditate upon it. But if I'm not obeying it, then my Bible study time is not complete. I have to obey Here's a little thing to help you at the bottom of your outlines. Here's a simple tool that helps us to apply scripture that we have learned. We can use the acronym SPECS. Looking at a verse, looking at a passage. How do I apply this to my life? What does God want me to do here? The S. Is there a sin mentioned in this verse or passage? He's asking me to forsake. 
Does this verse or passage contain a promise that God wants me to claim? The E, is there an example in this verse or passage that I'm supposed to follow? And you might add there, or not follow. Like if you're studying the life of King Saul, I think there's a lot of examples there not to follow. Or Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, when they lied to God about the money. There's an example there not to follow. The C, is there a command in the verse or passage that God tells me I must obey? For instance, the verse that says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Is that a command or is that an option? You guys, command. You're grumbling in your answer. Command. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. That's a command. So I would write down. The application here is that I'm supposed to clean up my room when my parents say without complaining or grumbling. That's application. I know I'm picking on kids today. I don't know why. Then lastly, the S inspects stumbling blocks. Are there any stumbling blocks to avoid? Do we see people or do we see warnings in the verse of the passage that alerts us to what we should do? So you see, go back to picking up your hymnal. Pick it up with all five digits. If we use all five steps each time we approach a verse or a passage, we get more out of it than, right? Hold it like this. Than if we do it with only two or less. So we have the steps, but here's the challenge. Here's a riddle, or here's a question. Why is the number 168 so important? Anybody? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? Each and every one of you, including myself, has 168 hours every week. 24 times 7 is 168, I hope, right? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Each of us has 168 hours. How much of that time do we spend in any of those five steps to make the Bible our own? How much time do I spend reading the Word of God or hearing the Word of God or studying it or memorizing it? Or meditating upon it compared to the other hours where I spend my time. So the playing field is level. God has given each of us the same amount of time. So the challenge is, what am I doing with my time? Blessed is the man who hears and obeys the word of God. Dave, good one. I know I didn't talk to you about this, but I'm going to ask you to come up and Carol to come up, lead us in a closing hymn. Uh, I spoke with Carol. I didn't get to mention it to you, Dave. Sorry. Hymn number 406, Wonderful Words of Life. Let's stand up together. Let's just sing verses, Dave and Carol, just verses one and two. Uh, Hopefully you guys know this. I'm sure you do. I know Carol does. Wonderful words of life. God's word. Wonderful words. 406.
Heavenly Father, we are eternally grateful for our holy scripture that you have given us. I pray that we would appreciate what we have. We have 66 books. Untold millions never had the completed scriptures in their hands. So while it's a blessing, it's also a tremendous responsibility for those who teach it to handle it accurately, for those who hear it to respond appropriately. Father, may we always receive sound teaching of scripture with an attitude of eagerness, prompt readiness to do what you've asked us to do. It doesn't have to be an emotional plea. We don't have to beg or persuade. It should be self-evident. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it for me. So, Father, please send your word deep into our hearts. Help us to hoard your holy word in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. So we give you the praise and the glory and the honor that you so rightly deserve for our Savior, for the Holy Spirit, and for your precious word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Don't forget to pray for our youth. They're taking off tonight uh, for momentum.